0: You're listening to the podcast from Emanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Okay, so the uh, so the words will appear on the screen, and it's uh, Luke nineteen, twenty-eight to twenty-four, um, and uh, in the church Bibles, it's page one thousand and fifty-four. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on up ahead, going, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached um, Bethphagel and, and, and Bethany at the hill, called the Mount of Olives, Olives. <laughs> he sent um, two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. why are you untying the colt? They replied, "The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jerusalem, their, their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, The people spread their coats, their, their cloaks along the road. When, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praise to the Lord, uh, to, to praise God in, in loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your your disciples. I tell you, he he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached, One stone on on another, because you did not recognize the time of the Lord's coming to you.
1: Great. If you've got that passage, then keep it open. Uh, That'd be fantastic. Uh, So I suppose what makes, we're thinking about Jesus as a king, what makes a good monarch? Well, it's probably easier to say what uh, an example of a bad monarch is. Possibly the worst king of England was a guy called George IV. Surprisingly or not surprisingly, he succeeded his father, George III, in 1820, reigning for 10 years. Now, George IV was known for his extravagant and lavish lifestyle. His coronation in 1821 cost roughly about £240,000, which today is about £27 million. Uh, His gown itself, what he wore for the coronation, was £24,000. And that was double the amount his father had spent on the whole of his coronation. Here's a a picture of what it looked like. Uh, And if you look closely enough, you can see Elton John is there. Um, Now, there were 700 people in the procession. Uh, A lot of these, uh, it was led by the king's herb woman. I didn't know they had a herb woman, but apparently she was there. And the six maids were scattering petals on the carpet. There was a military band. There was a choir singing. Oh, Lord, grant the king a long life. There was drummers. There was fanfares. It was spectacular. And then in Westminster Abbey, there was over 4,600 guests, which was three times more than his father's coronation. But his rule was tarnished by scandal and financial extravagance. His ministers said that his behavior was selfish, unreliable, irresponsible, and he was strongly influenced by those around him. Privately, a senior aide to the king confided in his diary, a more contemptible, cowardly, selfish, unfeeling dog does not exist. There have been good and wise kings, but not many of them, and this, I believe, to be one of the worst. That's not good, is it? So a bad monarch, if we look at George IV, a bad monarch is someone who's selfish, scandalous, unreliable, extravagant, irresponsible, cowardly, and unfeeling. So a good monarch must be the opposite of this. But what does a good monarch look like in person? Well, today, thankfully, we're going to meet a monarch who's actually more than a monarch. We're going to meet someone who's good, but he's actually more than good, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So today we're going to think of three things. We're going to think about who is Jesus, what is Jesus like, and how should we respond? Let me pray and then we'll get to work. Father God, thank you for this passage. Father, it is, at this time of year, a familiar passage to many. But I ask, Father, by your Spirit, you would help us to see things that we've not seen before. Father, that we would not just go through the motions here this morning. But aliven us to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we think about who is Jesus, uh, you might kind of roll your eyes and think, Well, that's obvious. I come to church a lot. That's an easy answer. But it's not too often when I speak to people, it becomes real clear, real quick, that we don't actually know the answer to this question. You see, people often get a lot of things confused about Christianity. I remember hearing a story about the Sunday school teacher who asked the class, What was Jesus's mum called? And a boy put his hand up and said, Mary. And she asked, Okay, what was Jesus' dad called? And the same kid put his hand up and said, Verge. And she looked a bit confused and said, why veg?" He said, because everyone's always talking about veg and Mary. <laughs> now in our passage today, we're going to see four things about Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus is God, he's king, he's savior, and he's judge. Now we could spend a sermon looking at each one of these, and we're not, because I actually want to spend more time on the second question, what is Jesus like? But let's have a look at the passage, uh, starting in verse 28, looking at Jesus being God. So it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. He approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So what are we seeing in those verses? We are seeing the divinity of Jesus. He is carefully coordinating everything. The day and the hour has been selected in eternity past. The mode of his entry, a previously unridden donkey, had been carefully chosen. He knew where the colt was, and he knew how to get it. And we need to remember that as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, this is a Jerusalem that is dominated by Roman pomp and splendor. And yet Jesus is completely in control. Jesus was in control the entire length of this Passion Week. All that's happening in our passage and all that will happen in Holy Week has been predetermined by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was coming to be killed by wicked and evil people. But what's more, we also see Jesus' divinity in verse 37. It says, When they came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You see, only God can do the things that Jesus had done. To give the blind sight, to say to the lame, walk, to allow the deaf to hear, to command the storm to stop, to raise the dead back to life. Now, for those of you who were here on Friday and you got to witness Tom Elliott, as good as Tom Elliott is, he can't do any of this stuff. As regal as Charles III is, he can't do any of this stuff. As popular as Harry Styles is, he can't do any of this stuff. No, only God can do this kind of stuff. So that means that Jesus must be God. But not only is Jesus God, we're also told that Jesus is a king. Look at verse thirty five, thirty-six. They bring the cult to Jesus, they threw the cloaks on the cult, they put Jesus on it, and then he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So try and get this in your mind's eye as Jesus is coming down the hill on the mountain as he's coming towards Jerusalem people are taking their cloaks off and they're throwing them on the road and they're throwing them on the donkey. This was a type of parade that was completely culturally appropriate. A king would ride into town and publicly the crowds would cheer. But Jesus is changing the script, isn't he? He's doing something very different. He's not riding in on a powerful war horse. No, in fact, he's riding in on a colt, a small donkey. He was Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed, fit for a child or a hobbit, because they're real too. Now, in this way, Jesus let it be known that he was the one prophesied in Zechariah 9, Uh, 9 and i'll read that to you don't need to turn but very famous zachariah prophesied rejoice greatly daughter zion shout daughter jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey what a contrast to george the fourth It wasn't about cost. It wasn't about extravagance. It was about confirming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's God's chosen king. And it was all about the era that Jesus was bringing in. Jesus was going to be the king of God's kingdom. And we can see that the people there are starting to make these connections. Look at verse 8. They start to sing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Probably sang it a bit better than that, but nevertheless they sang it. Now at this point, I think we're we're meant to remember here the great host of angels. Remember in Luke 2, before the birth of Christ, the angels appeared to the shepherds. And what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom it is pleased. You see the heavenly chorus, they sing about peace on earth. While the earthly throng, they sing about peace in heaven. And this peace between earth and heaven, it's only possible because heaven came to earth. Jesus Christ, the God-man, he came not only as God's chosen king, the Messiah, the Christ, but he also came as the savior of the world. And that's what Jesus is. Not only is he God, not only is he king, but he's also the savior. You see, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, we see that he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's weeping because he knows he's the Savior. And he's also the judge. Look at verses 41 to 42. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus Christ is the Savior who brings us peace. Our rejection of God makes us an enemy of God. We stand guilty of treason and we must face the punishment we deserve. No amount of good deeds, no amount of kind words, no amount of charitable acts, no amount of church attendance can give us a vertical peace with God. It's only Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, that absorbs the wrath of God and gives us peace with God. Jesus is the Savior who brings peace between heaven and earth. And then finally, what does this passage tell us about who Jesus is? It tells us Jesus is the judge. Because of Jesus' divinity, he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Look at verses 43 and 44. He says, the days will come when you come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on, stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. Now he's talking here about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and it was led by a general called Titus, who would later be the emperor in AD 79. What happened to Jerusalem? The walls were destroyed, the temple was set on fire, and many people lost their lives. You see, what people wrongly believed, they wrongly believed that the Messiah would come and defeat the political enemies of the Jews, restoring Jerusalem and the Jewish nation back to a position of prominence like under King David and King Solomon. What they fail to realize is Jesus, as the king, is also the Messiah. And he's the savior. He's going to defeat greater enemies, the enemies of sin and death. Jesus' kingdom would not be a geographical one, comprising of one nation. But it would be a spiritual kingdom, comprising of all the nations. A kingdom that is eternal. A kingdom that is ever expanding. Which no nation or no leader can ever stop. And those who try to will face the judge, Jesus. Now, why does all this make a a difference to you guys? You're sitting there going, okay, Jesus is God. He's king. He's savior. He's judge. Blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before. Well, actually, time and time again, we need to know the basics. Not basics, but we need to know who Jesus is because there's different seasons in your life. For example, you might be a person here today who's going through a really chaotic and crazy season. Lots of stuff is going on, and some of it is really hard, and you're struggling. You need to know that Jesus is God, and He is in control of all the crazy and chaotic stuff. There's nothing you're going through that surprises Jesus. So you're to rest in His Godness And you're to breathe knowing that he has you and your life in his hands. Or maybe you come this morning and you're in a time of uncertainty. Maybe there's big changes coming. Maybe a change of job. Maybe a change of of career or, or location, whatever it may be. Maybe you're lacking purpose. Maybe you're stuck in a bit of a rut. You need to be reminded that Jesus is the King. He's the king who is to be trusted and followed. You might not be getting the answers to these big prayers, but in the meantime, whilst you wait, he tells you what to do next. Follow him. Do the next right thing. What is the next right thing? It's to follow King Jesus by obeying his word. Maybe you need to know Jesus is king. Or maybe you come here this morning and you're in a pattern of sin. Maybe you're doing things and you want to stop, but you just can't. Maybe you don't have that peace. Or maybe you're a person who's tried to find peace in other things, in relationships, experiences, meditation, substances. Whatever you've tried to find peace hasn't worked and you desperately want it. You need to know that the only way to find peace is through trusting in Jesus. A famous guy called Augustine famously said, Our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. We were made by God for a relationship with God. And nothing on this earth can fill the God-shaped hole that exists in all of us. The only peace we can get is from the God-man who grants us peace as we trust in his death as a payment for our sins. Maybe this morning you need to know that Jesus is your savior. Or maybe you come this morning and you just don't give a toot. A toot is a Christian swear word. Okay, there we go. I've just outed myself. So you don't give a toot. There we go. You can use it amongst yourselves freely. It's actually a Tim Hawkins joke, so you can look at that later on the internet. Uh, So you're not bothered by any of this. You think, gee, oh yeah, he's a decent enough guy, but my life's okay. You know, I don't need any of this make-believe stuff to give me peace. (laughs) Or maybe you're a person who's disappointed or disillusioned with church and and you're ready to turn your back. Well, you need to know that Jesus is a judge, And that's not to scare people or intimidate people. Rather, it's just to tell the truth to say that one day we will all have to stand in front of Jesus and give an account of our lives. And to reject Jesus is not something we're to take lightly. So Jesus is God, he's king, he's savior, he's judge. Which one do you need reminding of this morning? Well, let's go on to point number two. What is Jesus like? If you remember the talk in Jesus survey from last year that we've looked at, people were asked to describe Jesus. And the kind of words people used was loving, peaceful, moral, spiritual, leader, wise, etc. That description is a bit like someone describing a car. Big, blue, wheels, fast. What we want to do is we want to lift the bonnet up. We want to look a little bit more. We want to see what is the heart of Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to see that Jesus is humble, he's weeping, and he's meek. And as we think about these things, ask yourself is this the kind of king I want to follow? But before we get that, what has two heads, four eyes, six legs, and a tail? Someone on a donkey. You see, Jesus' arrival on the donkey, it not only fulfills a prophecy, but it also tells us the type of person that Jesus is. As you read the Gospels, Jesus is not extravagant or selfish like George IV. Rather, Jesus lives a simple life, and he's always putting others ahead of himself. You see, Jesus could have, as God Almighty, as the majestic and mighty Messiah... He could have demanded the very best of the things on earth. His procession into Jerusalem could have made George IV look like a stroll down Gorton Road in comparison. But Jesus isn't like that. You see, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus didn't come to lord it over people, but to lay down his life for people. Jesus didn't come to take the best, but to use borrowed things. A borrowed stable, a borrowed donkey, a borrowed cross, a borrowed tomb. At the heart of Jesus is humility. But we also see in this passage that Jesus is weeping. And there's two places in the Gospels where we see Jesus weep. And neither of them about his own life. One is he weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. And here he's weeping as he goes to Jerusalem. Now, I weep at silly things. Every Saturday night, round about 7.50, or no, what time was it last night? About 7.30. I weep. Why? Because it's the happiest part of the week. If anyone watches Ant and Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway, you will know what I'm going on about. Because in the second part of that show, Ant and Deck reward people for the good deeds that they've done you're not convinced, or you're really just hard-hearted people. So here we go. So the other week, there was a kid, and he had a friend who needed a new wheelchair, and the wheelchair was going to cost £17,000. So this kid, he's only about 11 or 12, did a load of fundraising, and he raised £20,000 for the new wheelchair. Stuff like that, I get a tear in my eye. If that makes me less of a man, then it doesn't matter. I'm being vulnerable and honest. You don't know how to take that, do you? You think it's gone weird now. You take it however you want. I don't care. I'm not feeling well. doesn't matter. No, the reason Jesus weeps is more to do with the consequences of sin. You see, Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb because he knows that sin has led to death. Jesus is weeping here as he goes to Jerusalem because they've missed out on the very thing that will give them peace. Namely, repentance and faith in Him. You see, Jesus' heart is always for us to turn away from sin and put our trust in Him. Jesus knows that salvation will bring forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But He also knows that rejection of Him will lead to an eternity in hell. And it's the very thought of this that makes Jesus weep. And friends, will Jesus weep over you? You see, the tears of Jesus show us how valuable your souls are. See, we have a king who is humble. We have a king who weeps. And we also have a king who is meek. Now what is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Rather, it is strength under control. If anyone's seen the film Top Gun, you will know what I mean. You've got these F-16 fighter jets, and they are controlled by little Tom Cruise, who wears heels to get in the, in the plane. Okay? That is meekness. It is power under control. Some people aren't listening today, honestly. This is dynamite. You could watch it later. You'll be cracking up. Anyway, so that's, that's meekness. It is power under control. But meekness, meekness is also the strength not to defend yourself. And we see this on the cross. Jesus does not defend himself on the cross. But meekness is also the ability to boldly defend other people. And here in the passage, actually, we're going to read a little bit more, 45 onwards. We see Jesus, he strikes out in defense of the holiness of the Father and the salvation of Gentiles. I'm going to read verses 45 to 46. When Jesus entered the temple court, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now the ancient historian Josephus, he tells us that during Passover week, roughly 250,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts. Think of how tumultuous, how loud and confusing our financial trading floors are, and then add a load of animals. And then on top of this, this was the place where the Gentiles were meant to find God through quiet prayer and reflection. So Jesus goes in and he quotes Isaiah 56. It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. Actually, if you look at all of that verse, he says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the temple was to be used for Gentile evangelism, not a busy marketplace. And listen, this is just a little side point, but it's a warning for us here at ECC. You see, Jesus goes to the temple, and it was meant to be a place where people met with God. And obviously, ECC is a place where people, you know, you meet with God at home. You meet with God through Jesus. But this is a place where we want people to meet with God. And it's good that we're busy. We've got services. We've got events. We've got groups. We've got committees. We've got children stuff. We've got people coming and going. And that's great. But And this is the warning to us all. Jesus goes to the temple and it's busy. But there's no spirituality And we've got to be careful because sometimes we can be so busy doing good things that we forget the most important things. Prayer, compassion for the lost, love for one another, meditating on God's word, a deep care for our own souls. And we can be so caught up with doing that we forget who we do it for and why we're doing it. You see, Jesus wants more than us just being busy. And this is especially true this week. Is it good and right that we have lots of events where people can come in and hear about Jesus? Yes, and praise God for that. But you've got to be careful that you don't see that as your relationship with God. This week, and I encourage you to take time just to sit To have your Bibles open just to read Holy Week. To be deep in prayer. To be confessing sin. To be enjoying your relationship with God. Because that's what Jesus wants. He wants our hearts to be captivated by him. He wants our hearts to be so filled with love for him. Then that spills out into the things that we do. He wants our hearts to be humble and weeping and meek like us. He wants us to do that deep work of confessing sin and becoming more like him. You see, Jesus, the meek, he threw over tables. He drove out the perpetrators. Why? To boldly defend his father's honor and our salvation. Can you follow this type of king? A king who serves? A king who loves you so much that when you reject him, he weeps bitterly. A king who will defend you at great cost to himself. This is the heart of King Jesus. And this is the heart he wants you to have. He wants you to have the humility that he has. He wants you to weep over the destructive consequences of sin. He wants you to be bold in defending other people. He wants you to have his heart. But how is that possible? Well, that takes us to our third and final point. How do we respond to Jesus? Do we respond in self exaltation or submission? Now, it's amazing how the mighty can fall. Cristiano Ronaldo would have been considered by me as one of Manchester United's greatest players, but not anymore. Ronaldo committed what is one of the great sins of a footballer. When he was substituted, he walked off down the tunnel, and he did it more than once. What does that do? That walking off down the tunnel, it sends a message to the rest of the people that he considers himself bigger than the team. It's what we call self-exaltation. Ronaldo put himself on the top, and everyone else was underneath. Now, I want to be fair to Cristiano. We all do it. Probably not as dramatically as he did it on the pitch, but we all do it. Whether it's looking down on those around us, whether it's being hypersensitive about any kind of criticism, whether it's getting upset when we don't get our own way or being aggressive to make sure we do get our own way. It's when we believe that the whole world revolves around us or it's when we put people down with a look or words. We all love to exalt ourselves over other people. Now, obviously, it's not great when we act like that around others, but it's actually laughable when we act like that towards God you see in our passage the correct way to respond to god is submission that's what people are doing when they throw the cloaks it's not like they're saying oh i don't like that anymore i just put it over there no it's not like you know when the people leave the bags of clothes out into the front door it's not that they're putting it on a the cloak they're putting the cloaks on the road or on a donkey as a sign that they're willing to submit to king jesus now we don't like submitting to anyone but when this person is humble and weeps and is meek and is God and is king and is savior and is judge, then maybe we can make an exception. But if there's anything in you at this moment that wants to dismiss what I'm saying or argue against that, then hello, welcome to our friend's self-exaltation. And if this is you, you need to confess it to Jesus Ask for forgiveness, which thankfully is free and often. Now we're told to submit to King Jesus. And how else do we respond? Do we respond by rejection or rejoicing? Now, I don't know if you know this, but Decker Records and Constable and Robinson Publishers have something in common. They both rejected something worth rejoicing in. Decca Records famously rejected the Beatles because they believed that guitar bands were on their way out. And Constable and Robinson Publishers famously rejected Harry Potter because they believed the books would not bring any commercial success. How wrong they both were. Friends, in our passage, we see people reject Jesus. Look at verses 47, 48. After Jesus has driven out the temple, we're told every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on their words. And we've already seen people rejoice in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, friends, these are only the real two options. The only two real responses people should have to Jesus. You either have to reject him because he's not true or trustworthy. Or you have to rejoice in him. You have to take him into your heart. You have to live your life for him. And when you do this, your heart becomes like Jesus. Jesus. You see, what you can't do is be indifferent to Jesus. You can't kind of be in the middle and say things like, oh yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting guy and he's obviously influential and maybe he's a good teacher. No, 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 Jesus doesn't let you do that. Because of who Jesus is, because he is God, because he is the Messiah, because he is the Savior, because he is the judge, we just can't simply shrug our shoulders to him you've either got to utterly reject him or you've got to utterly rejoice in him. There's no middle ground. So which is it for you today? Is it self-exaltation or is it submission? Is it rejection or is it rejoicing? You see, Jesus is a king like no other. He's highly exalted yet humble. He's weighty yet weeping. And he's mighty, yet meek. There's no other king like Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've shown us in your text. I pray that anything that is unhelpful, anything that is not from you, please take it away. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us. Maybe a person here today needs to be reminded that you are God that you are the king who should be followed, that you are the savior who gives peace, that you are the judge that we will stand before. And Father, help us to remember who the king is that we follow. He is the king who is humble. He is the king who weeps. He is the king who is meek. Father, forgive us for when we exalt ourselves above you and help us to be a people who rejoice in you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk